Today's guest is the absolutely lovely Veda Austin from New Zealand. She is a water researcher, public speaker, mother, artist, and author, and she has dedicated the last eight years observing and photographing the life of water. She believes that water is fluid intelligence, observing itself through every living organism on the planet and in the universe. Her primary focus is photographing water in its state of creation, which is the space between liquid and ice. It is through her remarkable crystallographic photos that water reveals its awareness of not only creation, but thought and intention through imagery. I was very excited to have her on the show because, as most of you will know, we're still grappling to understand the mechanism by which homeopathy works. And one of the hypotheses is that our homeopathic remedies are able to retain the memory of the original substance, which the remedy is made from, even though there are only infinitesimally small amounts of the substance present. So Veda has some wonderful courses on her website, which will teach you how to use this technique for yourself. And you can check out her website at vedaaustin.com or check the show notes. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout, where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world. And now my mum and your host, Eugenie Kruger. Hello, homies, and a very warm welcome to Homeopathy Hangout. Today, we get to speak with fellow Kiwi, Veda Austin from New Zealand. Welcome, Veda. It's so nice to actually hear another Kiwi accent on podcast. I don't even know. I think I've only been interviewed by one other Kiwi, so it's really lovely. Well, I'm glad that you think I still have a Kiwi accent because I don't really want the Aussie accent to creep in too much. My kids, because we've been here six years now, my kids are very much having that Aussie twang. It's so funny. I've traveled so much and so many people can't distinguish the accents, but New Zealanders and Australians always can. Yeah. And the classic is the fish and chips and fish and chops. (laughs) (laughs) So Veda is the, I don't know what we call you, like a magic fairy spirit queen of water. And I'm sure most people that listen to the podcast are going to recognize your name instantly because it's been all over Facebook and social media and everyone's been talking about the incredible things that you're doing with water. And so I'm very excited about it. I often say my favorite movie of all time is Frozen 2. Have you watched it yet? I have children. So yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. What did you think of it? Well, the bit I enjoyed is that they talked about water having memory. So yeah, that's the part that I. Yeah. Oh, so I always say it's a, ho- it's a movie about homeopathy. It's all about water has memory. <laughs> now, the way that I discovered you is that there was this Facebook post that you did on homeopathic remedies that you put in water and then you use your special technique to freeze it. And then you took photos of that. And then I was like, who is this Vader lady? And clearly I have been living under a rock because it seems that everybody else has already known about you. I was just late to the party. But then I found all this other incredible work that you have done. So maybe can you tell us, Veda, how did you get into this in the first place? And how did you get interested in homeopathy? So I'm just going to throw it out there and sit back. You just go for it. (laughs) Sure. Well, there's a lot to unpack here, but I guess Mm. we'll try and simplify it. So um, around about nine years, years ago, I started really on this journey of, I was very inquisitive about whether water could store information or not. So I had uh, looked into various different researchers' work, and most people have heard of Masaru Emoto if they've been interested in water. Mm. Unfortunately, the scientific community really slammed him, uh, and that was because he chose the best photos to show. So they took a lot of photos and they chose the best ones, and he never hit that. He wasn't doing anything wrong at all, but... Science has sometimes struggled also with being able to uh, really look into the subtle sciences, the subtle nature of the way things work sometimes. But pictures speak a thousand words. And so, so many people were able to suddenly identify themselves as bodies of water, sensitive to thoughts and environment and music and sound and all these different kinds of things. And his work was just so so pioneering in the way in which it reached so many people by really just a handful of photos. Mm. And the next person who really inspired me, his name is Laurent Costa. 
He's become a friend of mine. He's a French microscopic photographer. He took photos in a similar way to Masaru Emoto, but for him, he never experimented. He never went in with the intention of experimenting on water because to him, water was his spiritual teacher. He believed that water was really alive and had the ability to communicate. And I'm very much in that same line of feeling and thinking with water, more so than ever now after having researched and studied and observed water for for nine years. And so what Laurent would do was that prior to freezing, so they would take a small amount of water after it was exposed to something, flash freeze it and take a photo of it under the microscope. Sometimes he would smile at the water before he took the photo and he was getting amazing imagery of smiley faces microscopically taken, you know, in the water. So he was seeing these little smiley faces. He was seeing hearts. He was seeing fish. He was seeing little cats, like actual pictures rather than geometries like Emoto was seeing. And so that inspired me greatly because for many years I worked professionally as an oil painter So I see the world from a very artistic perspective, Mm. but I have a threefold approach to my work, a scientific one, because I'm very interested in science as well, and all the different types of sciences, but I'm also an artist by nature. And so it's science, art, and consciousness. And I think there is a beautiful interweave there. And I think that, that actually more and more and more now we venture into quantum physics we're able to start bringing in these kind of other subtle areas which haven't been explained before, Mm. which suddenly there's, oh, that suddenly makes some sense. So I'm really happy about that. And the third person was a man by the name of Thomas Hieronymus. He was a radionic engineer, and he made this interesting observation. He went into a Parisian meat market, and he noticed that the freshly placed organs of an animal appeared to be affecting the way the frost froze on the glass behind where they were placed. For example, the um, frost would freeze into the shape of a liver organ above a liver organ, and so on and so forth. And his hypothesis was that there seemed to be some kind of life force energy still emanating out of the organ And he put that down to there being water in the blood. And he believed that each organ was held a signature pattern of itself within the water. And that blueprint or signature pattern had information. Anything that with with any kind of pattern or movement has information. And that information was shared to the water in the air, which was very, very cold. And that then froze into the blueprint shape of the organ. And that really interested me because he was seeing this with his naked eye. And back then, nine years ago, I didn't have a microscope, but I had an inquisitive mind. And I always say, don't believe everything you read or hear. You know, if you can try it for yourself, I encourage people to do that. And so I had a glass Petri dish from some other things I was doing and I had some spring water. And so I'm like, well, you know, I'm just going to project a thought into the water. I'm going to stick it in the freezer because the whole kind of focus of all three of those people had been around the freezing. It's where the unseen becomes seen. And so I'm like, okay, I'm just going to stick it in the freezer. I'm going to see what happens. I had absolutely no attachment to the outcome or really didn't know. I didn't know if anything would happen at all. So I stuck it in the freezer with the peas and the broccoli and the ice cream and the stuff. (laughs) And I left it there for hours. And then I came back, I pulled it out of the freezer, I held it up to the light and I took a photo on my iPhone. And that photo that I took has launched 36,000 photos of water Mm. responding in an intelligent manner. So pictures do speak louder than words. So I thought I would show you some of this and just take you on a tiny journey and then we'll skip over into why I'm interested in homeopathy and the work that I've done with homeopathy. Yes, please. Amazing. I'm just sitting here like on hanging on every word you're saying. (laughs) You're so sweet. (laughs) 
Okay, so let's do this one first. And for our podcast listeners, you're going to have to hop on the YouTube channel if you want to see the visuals. But obviously, if you're driving or anything like that, please don't. No, no. <laughs> Wait till you can, use. Can you yes. see this okay? Mm, beautiful. The, okay. So this is just an example of a Moto's work, just for anyone that somehow has missed his work was very contrasting. You can see beautiful geometries from the word thank you to very little structure with the words you fall. It does show the power of words. I've actually discovered over time that water doesn't read words. It reads the energy of words. So this is the work of my friend Laurent Costa that I was talking about. You can oh, see the, the smiley face. <laughs> And look, it makes you smile when you see them. Yeah, it does. It looks like a sloth, <laughs> like a, sm a sloth smiling. <laughs> it does. That does actually look like that. And you can see the beautiful heart. Oh. Now, this is where I, I, what I did. So my idea, like I said, was that I was going to project a thought into the water. So what I did was I held the dish of water in my hand and I noticed that there was a bit of fluff floating around in the dish. So I was like, oh, my God, you know, put my hand in to take the fluff out, consciously thinking, I wonder if my hand will have any impact on the water's quote-unquote memory, mm. because I didn't know if it was a real thing back then. Mm. So I stuck it in the freezer, pulled it out, held it up to the light, took a photo. This was the photo that I took. Oh. As you can see... <laughs> Um, it's an undeniable hand, oh, but it yes. is any old hand. Um, you might notice that these two fingers are slightly crooked. And yes. I have inherited my mother's crooked fingers. Oh. Two fingers. So it wasn't just any hand, it was also my hand. Oh, wow. And I have to say, I was kind of freaked out when I first saw this because it took up half of the dish. So to put it into perspective, my petri dishes are, uh, between nine and 10 centimeters dilated. Um, it's like they're in diameter. <laughs> in diameter. And well, you are giving birth to this idea, so we can talk about dilation. <laughs> I've also just been, the other day, I was just talking to a, a whole lot of midwives, so I probably still have my mind about that. But, um, but no, so actually, those, so they're quite large dishes. And mm. so half of that dish, so approximately five centimeters. So this is huge macroscopically mm. to be able mm. to see something so big. And, you know, I was like, oh, my God, I kind of could almost hardly believe it. Yeah. So I showed this photo to my son, Rama, and I said, hey, Rama, what does this look like to you? And he had no idea what I'd done. Yeah. He said, it looks like a hand. It looks like a kind of cre creepy hand, mum. And I'm like, no. And then I'm like, okay. Well, if any water is going to be informed, it would be the ocean. Mm -hmm. So I went and I collected some some seawater, and I was he almost hesitant to put it into the freezer because I thought if I see anything relating to the ocean and the imagery, like if there is any imagery at all, then this means it's kind of a big deal. So I did that. I pulled it out of the freezer, and I took this photo. Now, you can mm. see that it's a feathery different kind of texture, mainly because seawater freezes differently than fresh water. Mm. But you can see the outline of the fish you and the tail, see the, fish, yeah. the yeah. fins, the gill, yeah. and the perfectly round yeah. eye. And that is when my freezer became my most used household appliance, <laughs> and I just went crazy with it. <laughs> and Within about a year, I really started to go deep into the new science of water. And there really is one about the fourth phase of water that Dr. Gerald Pollack talks about and has written a book with the same name. And so we have a liquid, solid, gas, and then a type of gel or plasma. And that's the stage between molecular chaos and molecular order. Water in a cup in a glass, is updating its information every trillionth, trillionth of a second. As it slows down, as it begins to freeze, uh, I observed that it freezes in layers. And that I call the space of creation. It's before it's a solid, before it's in like an ordered space. So it begins to um, design, in fact. So my technique evolved over over time by that understanding as you can see in these two images they're very different 
I look back at my work when I first began in the first year when I totally froze water and I'm amazed that I got the images as clear as I did because my technique now that I teach people that lots of people now are starting to implement into their lives, uh, it only takes approximately five minutes. It depends on your freezer. It does vary with different freezers. Different waters freeze at different times. Different temperatures freeze at different times as well. So there are those things, but around about five minutes. And I discovered my type technique that I call collective molecular photography, which essentially means that I think all the water molecules or the um, informed water molecules are working as a kind of collective to design imagery that we can recognize. So there's an intelligence about this. And so what I um, what I started doing, because I was curious, like, what's happening in the freezer? My freezer wasn't see-through. So I was like, started opening the freezer door earlier and earlier and earlier. And after about five minutes, I discovered that, oh, look, there's this liquid on top, but I can see something's happening underneath it. What's going on in there? So I just out of curiosity, I pulled it out of the freezer. I, I held it up um, vertically and the, the liquid drained away. And there was this incredible imagery in the ice. And it was so clear. It was a very fine layer. But what I was seeing was clarity I'd never seen before in ice. And I now call that the first freeze. Because if you look at ice water basically uh, freezing for long enough, you'll notice that after about 15 to 18 minutes in a, in a fairly new freezer that normally will do this, there will be two layers of ice that have formed. Mm. And in between those two layers will be liquid, but there will also be like a icy scaffolding in between. Now, this technique is very much kind of like the analogy I give is when I was a little girl and at school, the teacher gave me a piece of paper with a glue stick and said, okay, draw something with the glue stick, get some glitter, sprinkle it on, you know, let that some of that glitter stick to the glue and then shake the rest of the glitter away. So your conscious expression or whatever your conscious influence is prior to freezing is the glue. The first freeze is the glitter that's stuck to the glue. And the rest of the liquid water is the glitter that falls away. Now, interestingly, when you actually um, have that, let uh, you tip that water away, if you tip it into another Petri dish, you'll get a secondary layer of information. It's very, very interesting when you start. The more you do it, the more you learn. And I feel like I'm still learning every day. Now, as you can see, the difference between these two images, there is such clarity in mm. the new technique compared to the old technique. There is colors that are able to come through because the ice is very thin and you can play with the colors depending on where you take the photo in your house. And I take all of my photos on my iPhone. So it doesn't require some load of great big technology. Mm. You know, all you really need to order is a Petri dish and glass. I always use glass because glass is essentially made of silica. Silica is a crystal. Crystals store information, and it helps the water to store information for longer. Now, my son did this one. Uh, his name is Rama. He's um, kind of like the, the Hindu god Lord Rama, mm -hmm. and we were talking about that and how Lord Rama always has a bow and arrow. So we were talking oh. about bows and arrows, and so he projected a thought of an arrow into the water. He did this entire thing himself, including the photo. And you can see how clear it looks like the arrowhead is metallic. It's incredible. It does, yeah. So oh, this beautiful. is the stage there of my new technique where it's liquid and ice. You can kind of see what it looks mm -hmm. like. And this is a really important piece, which I think all of this um, is relevant to the work in homeopathy, particularly this piece I think so years it was coming up to a couple of years ago now I was talking to an indigenous American Indian woman and she said that she had the ability to speak to bees and she said that the bees she would watch the hive for long long periods of time and a, a bee came out and communicated to her however it did that it didn't mind if um if she looked at the hive, but please don't look at the hive for too long 
because her conscious expression was putting too much light into the hive. And so what that really fitted in with me was like, oh God, okay. So if my conscious expression is putting light towards where we focus it on, one of the uh, qualities of the fourth phase of water is that it can absorb more light. Uh, the other qualities are it has a negative charge, which was a really important piece because healthy cells are negatively charged. And um, that it has a viscosity about it. Now, what's really relevant here is that I think that water has a light source and that as it begins to freeze, it's actually the light. As you can see, I've captured here, this was taken in the freezer. I managed to catch these light, almost like light mm. halos around the ice as it's just starting to come out and just starting to form. So actually, it's as if the design that occurs uh, with the ice is, in fact, guided by light. Yes. It's the light that creates the pathway for the design. Yeah is really really interesting piece now over the many years i have seen so many incredible images in ice and these aren't just images where you go mm, i think i can kind of make that out maybe it's this or maybe it's that um dr jerry pollock's actually become a friend and mentor of mine and he encouraged me a few years ago to essentially put out a kind of study a questionnaire with 25 of my photos and simply say, what does this look like to you for each one? So I gave it to people I knew to put it out on social media. So it wasn't coming from me. People didn't even know what they were looking at. And 298 people did the survey. And out of that lot, approximately 83 to 85% of people were able to recognize the images for what the influence was prior to freezing. And out of those images, there were three of them that a hundred percent of people could recognize. What so were they? The hand, oh yeah, the number eight, and a tree. I think. Oh wow! Yeah. Um, so I was very curious to see if if uh, water could pick up uh, faces, like facial recognition. Mm. So I used people's photographs. So as you can see here, uh, the photo of my friend Wendy is on the right. I placed my Petri dish of water on top of her photo for 30 seconds. The reason I use 30 seconds is because I think it's not too long and not too short. It just uh -huh. seems like a good time. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, the more I've worked with water, I've developed a relationship with water whereby it's almost as if I don't need to use this protocol anymore. It's like it knows what I'm going to do before I do it. Mm. And so that it, it's a very interesting thing that happens over time. But people also like protocols. So it's very helpful for people to have a kind of these kind of things. So you can see how it's designed her face and her features. Mm. Um, here someone asked me to use the photo of Sadhguru, and you can see that it's created his face. Wow. Here I've used, I've always been interested in ancient history and ancient, especially Roman and Greek and Egyptian history. So I used an old Roman coin and you can see it's designed the face from the coin. Uh, this is a good example of me overfreezing. So, so it's easy for me to sometimes overfreeze things or mm -hmm. underfreeze things. It is a moving piece sometimes using different kinds of water. I've used all different kinds of water, rainwater and tap water and mm -hmm. spring water and I've, all these different kinds of waters. And I've managed to identify the signature pattern of, your, of specific waters, which I really encourage people to do. Because if you don't know the natural patterns of your water, you're not going to know when it's significantly changed. Mm. And, you, and you can see a difference. Like tap water can be improved by you putting the tap water into a bottle and holding it to your heart so that it's beside your actual heartbeat for a minute and it can structurally transform. But if you didn't know what your tap water looked in the first place, you wouldn't really know it had made the structural change. Mm. It didn't make a chemical change but it made a structural change. So what we're seeing is an energetic state of health or an, like an emotional state of health. So 
bringing it back to this picture, you see I've overfrozen it, but you can still see the outline yeah. and the shape of this um, comparison to mm-hmm. uh, Jupiter, otherwise known as Zeus. Of this Interesting statue. that the eyes, you know, you could definitely make out the eyes. And with that fish as well, the eye was just so perfect. It's almost, it was. It's almost creepy that it's the eye. <laughs> it is weird. Occasionally, I think it's where a bubble pops and it just creates mm-hmm. this perfect hole. Or is it? Because I heard you say once that the, if the eyes are the window to the soul, then the tears are the spirit or something along those lines. So yeah, yeah, I, I said that tears are an expression of spirit. Expression of spirit. Have you frozen some teardrops tears? yet? Yes, I have. I've shared all, I share all of that in my advanced workshop. And I think I've done, I've also shared some on my social media pages. So if anyone wants to go through them, they'll find some that I've done of tears, but I've actually done different types of tears. So mm-hmm. I've done tears that are chemical related in the sense that, you know, you're cutting an onion and you naturally oh, cry, yeah. but I've done tears of, of joy and sorrow and various different things as well. And and I compare them to the ones that are not, a scientist has done. I think she was a scientist where she looked at tears, different emotional tears under a microscope and saw that they were, were different. So these are just examples of my work. I think it's nice for people to be able to have a look at them. Mm. For example, over here is a very obvious one where I put my thumb into the Petri dish prior to freezing. And what's interesting here, you can see, you know, my nail and my thumb, but at the end of the nail, you can see there's a little chip. Well, a few hours after I'd done this whole thing, I actually chipped my nail in exactly the place. Yes. And I've seen things like that happen all the time because I don't think water has any um, time uh, concepts. No, not in the same way that we do. Yeah, because it can show me time. information from a hundred years ago, <gasps> but I've seen it show me information that have actually occurred the next day. Oh. It's a very, very interesting thing. And if we consider that, I'm not talking about volume, but I'm talking about by molecular count, we're 99% water. And there are more water molecules in our bodies than stars in the Milky Way. So we have this body of water and we are, it's so intelligent. It has an intelligence far, far greater than we might have ever imagined. So as we just kind of go through some of these, this was an interesting one. There was a, a lady who was newly pregnant, and I asked her to take a sip of water and think of her baby. Mm-hmm. So I froze the rest of the water, and you can see the little embryo, the little baby is in there. The one below it was... And it's got that light around it as well. Yeah, I love I love it when it does that. That's a really beautiful point that nobody's really pointed out before about that. Yeah, that's that's really special. Mm. So with the one below it, it looks like an etching. So I had gone to a cafe and they had left this uh, bowl of water out for thirsty dogs. And I saw this schnauzer dog, like in the comparison photo, drinking from the water. And I'm like, oh, I wonder what the water would show me What about that dog. And so I actually, I asked the lady at the cafe, so I know this is going to be the weirdest thing anyone's probably ever asked you, but could I please have a takeaway cup for that dog bowl water <laughs> over there? <laughs> sure, she let me. And I showed her the photo the next day and she was amazed, but I simply came home and froze it. And It's interesting that once again, that eye is just so, you know, visible and so clear. It is. Um, the one in the middle is interesting because my daughter is loves to all kinds of animals and she had a book on birds or different kinds of birds around the world. And so we opened the book up and we got a piece of cardboard and we covered the owl's um, face in half. So we put the cardboard down half the side of the owl's face. Mm-hmm. And so the water designed the other eye of the owl which is fascinating because oh. it actually wasn't seeing, if you want to use that term, yeah. the, or it wasn't touching the actual picture. It was covered up, but it already it knew the intention. It knew the idea, and it was fascinating. And, you know, there are so many examples. Here's where I put broccoli into water and used the broccoli water, and you can see it's designed the broccoli. That movie uh, I, poster is just, that's classic. That's amazing. Batman. Well, because I have three children and yeah. my children have been grown up watching me do this, they have been very involved. And I actually, mm. children do this better than most of us because they don't have the kind of cynic, like cynical. Yeah, <laughs> and preconceived very, ideas. They're open to just whatever may be. 
That's right. Yeah. And wow. so my son would get really involved and he's like, oh, maybe it would like to watch Batman with me. And he <laughs> would literally put the Petri dish of water by the movie. And this is the result of that. It's quite oh. remarkable, honestly, amazing to me. Um, and here are just a few more examples. I mean, really, they mm. tend to kind of go on and on. You can see the influence here where I put the oh, um, amethyst crystal in the water. Mm -hmm. I removed it and it designed a pyramid. I think no, that's that one. So I'll stop that share. And I then I, I have a quick question for you, Veda. So Bruce Lipton in this one video, he said that the memory, because he's a huge fan of homeopathy. And there was this one interview that somebody did with him a few years ago. And he said that he believes that information of the original substance in the water that information is transmitted through the hydrogen bonds between the water molecules but mm -hmm. i've mentioned that to one of the homeopaths i interviewed on the podcast and they were saying no it's more like an energetic type thing more so than the chemical action of the hydrogen molecules sending the information from once like introducing the substance in the water at this end but within milliseconds it's because of the hydrogen bonds, that information is traveling through all throughout the water. But what do you feel? How, how do you feel water is able to transmit? I, I have a few theories. And the work that I do with water, when I'm working with water, I'm not really looking at it as uh, so much hydrogen and oxygen. Mm. Although a nice analogy that I've shared before is that the energy of hydrogen, these two hydrogens, is feminine. And the energy of the oxygen is masculine and together they create this beautiful um, balance. And so when I'm working in these fields, I've done a bit of research into the thought of our thoughts material. Mm. It's a very interesting question. And there were some studies done and it, it does kind of come into this. And it, when I share my work about homeopathy and the work that I've already done, mm. I wanted to share a little bit more about what I think is going on there and uh, after sharing the work, we can you you have more of an idea of okay, where my feeling and thoughts are with that. Mm. So I want to share though about the work of this scientist who I've been talking about recently, because just because it's just fascinating and it does really make you wonder what is going on here. Mm. Because before telling you about him, I would say that I think that all things. My, my partner he says this well, and he says like everything we see is information that we've labeled. Mm. So when I'm, I'm looking at my computer now and I'm looking at a picture of you and rather than seeing it as the label, I, you could say, well, what does this thing mean to me? Mm. You know, everything has a type of information and energy. And so I, I think that those realms of intelligence, especially, I mean, I'm talking about in living things, there's an intelligence, an innate intelligence in all things. We can't just brush um, it with the human yardstick. You know, there is intelligence in, in plants and in, in, um, mushrooms and in, in all other life forms. Mm. It's just different than ours. It's no less, no, it's, it's just different. And so with that intelligence, there is an, an energy or what I sometimes call spirit makes some people uncomfortable and, and and if you don't like the word spirit then please use the word energy it's kind of like with Einstein you know he was really um talking about a lot of things to do with that were spiritual but instead the word consciousness might feel more comfortable mm. so we can they can interweave you know mm. how you make make makes you feel however I do think that anything that is living has an intelligence, has a kind of, has a spirit. Mm. And that spirit, I believe, has the ability to share information and also observe it. So I've observed something with water where it's far more interested in my feelings than my thoughts. And I think of thoughts like clouds, but I think we're really the sky. And our thoughts don't define us, mm. but they make us feel a lot of things. Mm. And it's the feelings that I'm seeing water really interested in picking up on. It doesn't, it's not, water is wild, you know. This is a relationship not about controlling it, not about telling it what to do, not about expecting it to do what you think. Because as soon as you expect water to do something, it will do something different. Mm. There is no, uh, you know, this is not, my work that with water is more about me 
being just open and curious to see what it will show me, what it wants to do, how we play together. Not about, oh, well, if we do this, then water is automatically going to do this. No, mm-hmm. water isn't. We as people can be unpredictable sometimes. Sometimes we can be very predictable. <laughs> but, but on the whole, there is a wild aspect to all of us somewhere in there. And nobody wants to be experimented on. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to feel controlled. That's a horrible, those are horrible feelings. So I always say, you know, do to water what you might want done to you. And so that's why I don't use the word experiment. On the, I don't consider myself to be experimenting. I consider myself to be playing with an intelligence of which is responsive to me and can share things that with me that I could have never imagined. Mm-hmm. So when I was studying this man, who was a scientist, he was also a psychiatrist. His name was Gennady Krokolev back in the 1920s. He was working with patients who uh, had mental disorders and were having hallucinations. And he wanted to see whether or not what they were having visions of were somehow within the realm of possibility able to be captured on camera, whether they were um, in a secondary, like a secondary consciousness, like a subtle realm, mm. or whether their thoughts were there were um, in the brain were being then that information was sent to the retina of the eye, and the retina of the eye recreated into a picture form that pushed out a kind of holographic mm. image, and that holograph, which we in a, in a more subtle realm couldn't really be perceived with the human eye, but could be picked up by the camera. So what he did was he created these kind of goggle things but took the lens out and attached this thing called a Zenith camera which had a long box thing coming out of it and he attached the box to the goggles so there was no outside light coming in. So as they had a hallucination, he took photos of their retinas as they were having this experience. He did this for over 20 years, over 200 patients, In over 117 patients, he was able to actually capture images in black and white photos, showed them, and they said, yes, yes, that's Mm. what I'm seeing. So this was repeated within the last 15 years or so by more Russian scientists. But rather than using people with issues, psychological issues, Mm. they employed um, someone who could remote view. And what they did, they set the the whole setup exactly the same. They found the same old camera, but they Mm -hmm. used a scuba diving mask instead without the lenses on them. Mm -hmm. And they they wrote some numbers and some shapes on pieces of paper, and they went behind a wall. So when the person who could remote view was tuning in to what those numbers or shapes were, they would have then click the camera. And they were able to get the number one, the triangle, various things like that. So they were of the thought then that thoughts are in fact material in some way, Mm. which then it's that the secret about that was that it needed to be a very clear vision, not just, oh, let's think about dinner and then we'll see dinner. Mm. Whereas I can think about dinner and sometimes I'll see dinner. So it, it is interesting how, when you're doing this, it's it's all about the unseen forces becoming seen in some way. Mm. So with me, I think there is an information transfer using thought and electrical charge and light that is transferred into the water and that the water is able to absorb that. Mm. And because I freeze it straight away um, – and I'm I'm doing it in the specific way, like I've just shared with you about that first phrase. Mm. We're seeing the 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 information that was most picked up by that last thought. But sometimes water will just completely not do what you expect, and it will show you something that's like on the freezer behind you, or it will show you like something around you. And sometimes I've done a lot of repeat studies with my work. And sometimes it's so interesting because I could have these glasses that I'm holding up and what am I to design the glasses? And then you'll do exactly the same thing and it'll, just, it'll show you maybe something relative to 
um, the little words on the glasses oh. or it'll show you something from a different angle and perspective. So it's like it goes around showing you and understands all aspects of the glasses. It's very, very interesting. So with homeopathy, I think I was really interested in homeopathy because I saw it work when I was little. My mum took my sister to a homeopathic um, uh, room sitting in there, and um, my sister had warts all over her fingers, like all her fingers had warts on them. And uh, mum was given these little tiny white pills. And I remember that. So I was like, oh, these little white pills. Hopefully that works because she was, it, it was horrible for her. Mm. And I remember within three days, all her warts had gone. And it was just like miraculous. And I remember mum going, oh, my God, these little pills, they're amazing. We have to keep going back to see the homeopath. And I didn't really understand how it worked. But because I'd seen it work and because I'd been there, I was like, oh, wow, this is definitely something I want to use with my children when I have children. And I have done. My son recently um, broke his wrist. And um, because I'd done a study and shared it uh, on social media, um, I actually I reached out to a couple of couple of the the um, homeopaths and I said, look, you know, what should I give him as other than arnica? And they said, well, give him arnica and then ask me a bunch of questions and um, said, try this, give this, and so mm-hmm. did all of that. He healed very very well, um, and so I had already got that interest. And so I'm not a homeopath. I am a water researcher and a crystallographer. That's my specialty. But I have a very clean interest in it because it relates very much to work that I've done and work others have done. Can you see where it says the six patterns of egg albumin? Yes, I can see it. Okay, fabulous. So, I mean, you might be wondering what has egg got to do with homeopathy, but it's actually all relative when you put it together. So I have discovered that when you look at the egg albumin, there's two parts to egg white. There's the gloopy gelatinous part, and then there is a thinner part that is very similar to saliva. Now, when you freeze that similar part, particularly for free-range happy healthy hen eggs, Mm -hmm. you can see six patterns, and I've identified them as the volcano, the feather, the weave, pollen, flower, and stars. Now, four of them I consider to be complex. It's the top three, volcano, feather, and weave, and the one in the middle, which is flower. The stars and the pollen are kind of rudimentary. They're kind of your, you know, very foundational. So um, when I have frozen um, caged hen eggs, the most patterns that they form are the two rudimentary ones, the stars Mm -hmm. and the pollen. You don't see volcanoes and feathers and weaves and flowers in caged hen eggs not naturally anyway so I just love this because these you can just see how beautiful they are when you start learning how to do this I teach this in the advanced workshop like how to freeze egg white in this particular way you never really look at an egg in the same way again because you can see how much information is in there and this is specific to all birds So there are six patterns for all birds in that species. So my next step is to see one day whether I am able to get crocodile eggs or snake eggs that are not endangered or anything like Mm. that to see whether or not there are specific patterns that are different than birds that occur in the egg albumin. And if there is, then this is information for the species. And I think this is extremely important work going forward. Now, I've put this together because I found it interesting. I have so many curiosities myself going on about like, well, that really reminds me of that. So I like to kind of compare things. So you can see that this kind of volcano shape looks very much like a limpet shell mm. and, and how it looks. So I've cut these in half. So this is the egg white, and here is the limpet shell. Oh, yeah. Almost hard to tell here. This is the egg white. These are feathers. See how this looks so much like star anise? Mm. Oh, so uh, the brain coral is like, gosh, you know, it wow. looks like brain coral. This is horse hair, how much it looks like horse hair. Here's this sunflower. You can see how it yeah. looks like that. This is from a duck egg. And here you can almost think that this was one picture. It looks like but one picture. I cannot see where the divide is. But it is divided in half. And the, this is the egg white. This is the sea coral. 
So it's very, very interesting because what we're looking at here is the primordial soup. You know, it's so, so powerful that it can share these these patterns. And this is me just basically talking about what I'd like to see in the future and uh, perhaps a kind of crossover into morphic resonance as presented by Rupert Sheldrake, who I'm actually going to go and have lunch with when I go to the UK in a few weeks and catch up with him. I met him a few years ago and he's just such a lovely, lovely person. So healing by proximity. I did a study which I shared on social media and it, and outside of homeopathy, it got the most shares. Mm-hmm. So just to put into context, the difference between free range eggs and caged in eggs, where you can see there's a remarkably huge difference. Mm-hmm. Now I decided to do something where I would put, this is the crystallography over here of a caged hen egg. You can see it's just got that one kind of brain type of pattern. And here is a beautiful free range egg with all its complexity. By putting the caged hen egg next to the free range hen egg overnight, when I tested that caged hen egg, you can see that it has improved significantly wow. more than in any caged egg hen egg I'd ever seen in my life. Mm. And I have done like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of eggs. Now, when I shared this, people on social media were going, oh, yeah, but if you surround it with heaps of bad eggs, like it's going to be It's going to definitely go bad. And so I did that. So essentially I took the, if we just use the term good eggs and bad eggs, it's (laughs) what I'd like, but just so it's easier to say. Hmm. I put the good egg in the middle and I surrounded it by bad eggs. And those bad eggs were all from the same batch. And the good egg was from a batch where I was able to use the control. And, And so over here you can see that the good hen egg, after sitting next to all the bad hen egg, eggs it didn't change structurally this is the control of the caged hen egg now these are all caged hen eggs the closer they were in proximity to the good egg the more complex their patterns were i would say by looking at this that this was a free-range egg Mm, yeah it has transformed itself completely so given that these weren't fertilized eggs, it's fascinating that information was still pulled from the free-range egg mm. and from the caged hen egg. It's really interesting because it may be meaning that the potential for life still seeks improvement. Mm. Mm. And my personal takeaway from this is that given by molecular count we're 99% water, is simply if we heal ourselves, we heal others. And so there is a wonderful information transfer explaining why we want to get close to people that we just have a really wonderful energy. There is a healing in that. I've also done the same test with water where I took tap water, which has these disordered patterns. And that's because I know the signature patterns of tap water. I can immediately identify it. Then I took the spring water, which created what I call a hydroglyph, which we probably don't have time to get into, but um, essentially, they're ice symbols that I've identified uh, that have I've re- I've had to repeat the tests over fifty times and seen the same symbol appear from using a specific word to say I know that it has a meaning and that mm-hmm. it isn't random. And I have thirty six of them. Mm-hmm. This is the hydroglyph for the lotus, which means purity or enlightenment. Mm-hmm. I will sometimes see that glyph in healthy, happy spring water. But what's interesting is when I left the two out overnight beside each other, this is the tap water, the same tap water that has vastly improved. Wow. It looks more like what I would see in uh, freshly collected rainwater now. Mm. And over here, you can see that the uh, spring water has improved by sitting next to the tap water. And that is because I think it has compassion and purpose. And you can see that now it has not just one lotus, Mm. but two lotuses, and together they have formed a heart. Mm. Now, this is important work by a man called Luke Montanura. I met him before he passed. Oh, he's an amazing man for, I mean, he did so much for homeopathy. And um, he only just passed this year, I think, was earlier this year, hey? Yeah. And he he won a Nobel Prize for his work with AIDS. That's correct. Mm. So he's no no unknown scientist. He's mm. pretty well known. And, you know, it's, it's always really sad to me that 
that, that it, when when scientists share something that seems almost unbelievable to other scientists, mm. it's almost like there is, especially when you were kind of going into the quantum, mm. it's like it can be problematic for them. Oh, but it's I think crazy. It's, he had such a great name and, you know, he won a Nobel Prize. But then the second he started expanding his mind and going into quantum physics, they were all poo-pooing him. It's just unbelievable That's you know, this brilliant mind, suddenly his colleagues are turning on him. It's, it's a disgrace. Unfortunately, it's not uncommon. Yeah, no, it's a very yeah. common common theme, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but his work here is very fascinating. So essentially... He said that DNA can be produced from its teleported quantum imprint. So in this experiment, two neighboring but physically detached test tubes were placed within a copper coil and subjected to a very low frequency um, of 7 hertz. The apparatus was isolated from the Earth's natural magnetic field, so there was no interfering. One tube contained a fragment of DNA around 100 bases long, and the second one contained nothing but water. After about 17 hours, the gene fragment, according to Montenegro, was recovered from both tubes, even though one should have just contained water, which is so interesting when you when you even think about what's happening just by spending a lot of time next to someone in physical mm. contact. You know, what is happening when we're making love? Mm. All this kind of stuff energetically, like all these things, they're so relative um, to information transfer. Uh, given that we are such sensitive beings. Mm -hmm. It's very, very interesting to think about. So this is my work that I've done with homeopathy. And I'm just going to read it through because I chose not to use um, distilled water for this work. Mm -hmm. And there was a reason why, which I'm going to get into. So here we have a small study I did on homeopathic remedies. My process was to add a couple of drops to a certain remedy into specifically collected pristine spring water, and then I'd freeze it using my method of short-term crystallography. Lots of people have asked me what dilution I had. It was like a, a hundred. It was the, the most diluted I could find for all of the um, remedies. For all these tests, the water was prepared and frozen within 30 minutes of collection from the aquifer. So why didn't I use distilled water for the study? Distilled water is considered to be so pure and all these kinds of things. Well, mm -hmm. it was because I feel that um, spring water holds similarities to the human biosystem. These remedies are taken orally and the human's body is a complex salt water system. I wanted to see how these remedies performed in an energetically dynamic environment with not too much salt and mineral content like in seawater, but not too little, and still retaining the energy of movement and flow. Because I'd just collected it, it still had the energy of the movement, of the vortexing. It was That's why we, we tend to give the term, although it is another label, which I don't really like, but for now, um, we tend to call spring water like living water. Mm. So as I was saying, I've also found that the naturally dissolved salts and minerals in the spring water help store information longer, and the water is very alive and receptive to anything I add. Mm. These salts are not present or barely present in distilled water. So when I have used distilled water and added homeopathic remedies, I've found that the results were not nearly as clear. Oh, interesting. So I think of distilled water as an observer because it lacks those minerals, not judging, not doing. And spring water is more of an active participant with the ability to observe. Mm. So also experience, um, but also experience and make memories like we can. So given the dilution process of homeopathy, I believe that water is not only storing the trace elements of the original plant or remedy, but also holds the spirit or energy, if you prefer, and potential essence of it. So all my work is based on my nine years of observing water and my inner standing of its nature. I'm not a traditional scientist, clearly, and my methods are unconventional, but I personally think they have great value. Mm -hmm. Now, I have done some repeat studies, not a lot so far, because I'm working on a number of things at once at the moment. But as you can see, they have very, the, the first two here, Arnica and Allium Sepa, they, they are very, very similar. They are all very similar, mm -hmm. um, but those two particularly. 
Um, milk thistle is really interesting. You can see that there is oh, like see the thistle. thistle plant mm. in there. And so I, I think that it's interesting because with this, with the imagery that I've got so far, the um, results in the ice look very much like the plant or what the remedy was and what it looked like. So um, doing the repeat studies, I think, helpful for others to see, to see that they're not just kind of random as well. So I think I was talking to someone and this kind of just came through me because I, I think it's powerful. I think that one of the reasons the higher dilutions are so potent is that the spirit or essence or energy of the plant or whatever it is, mm. is closest to its essence, like a, a spirit transitioning from the physical body into the ethers. Mm. So um, one of the things that I talk about, and I'm mindful we probably don't have much more time, is that I think there are two types of water in people. And as you probably know, the Maori word for spirit is wairua, meaning two waters. And so there is the physical waters, and I think there are the spiritual waters. Now, because there is water in the air, the fact that we breathe, we're creating water in the air. Mm. Now, we often don't think about water in the air because we can't see it. So much of what we experience in the world is through what we see, even though our eye lens is 99% water and we're actually seeing everything through the lens of water. And we don't actually wow. see with our eyes, we see with our brain. But aside from that, one of the things that I think is just so interesting is that when we really kind of going into this aspect of the spirit, I suppose, the spiritual aspect, mm. is that the physical waters are hydrating us, they're maintaining us, but this essence water within us, uh, the observer, I think of water in its most powerful sort of expression of being the observer. So we as human beings experience the world uh, very internally. There are two worlds, the one we live on and the one we live in. So everything we experience in this world is felt and experienced through our senses, through touch, through taste, through sound, through sight. But all of these things we're actually bringing into ourselves. So the taste is felt inside, the eyes are bringing in the vision, the hearing is coming in. All of these things are bringing into the body. So what do we actually ever experience outside of this body? Well, one of the things we can do is observe ourselves. So how do we do that? Well, I think that because of our electrical charge and because not only from the electrical charge from our organs, we are not salt, we're salt water, we're not fresh water. Salt mm. is a crystal, it gives off piezoelectricity. So there's a weak charge just from that. So I think that the water in the air is attracted to the electrical charge that we have. And that enables us to actually have this web around us that picks up information in the air and from others, mm. and also that we ourselves can give off information about ourselves. Mm. So when we meet someone and even without touching them, we can be like, oh, my God, I feel like I know you, you know, you, you feel so familiar. Well, there's so much energy exchange going on, information exchange going mm -hmm. on. But one of the reasons we have that kind of love at first sight was like that lightning bolt, as some people call it, is that we have our own patterns, our own mm -hmm. individual patterning based on our energy and all these different kinds of things with this mm -hmm. kind of web that I'm talking about. And each person's is individual. When you meet someone whose web kind of matches yours in very, very similar patterning, there is an immediate liking for that person. There is an immediate remembering of that person and this feeling that kind of comes up. So it's an extremely important piece. So when you recognize that we have this ability to kind of then come out of our body, so I think this essence water is either a potentially a gas or maybe it's some kind of a fluid that can come in and out like, like from a liquid to a gas. Mm. There's so little we know about water. We mm. think we know a lot, but we really don't. There are something like 300 different types of ice. The secrets to life are in the subtleties. Mm. And every single aspect of one of those pieces, areas of ice of those 300 will be probably a thousand subtleties, if not more. 
Mm. And that goes for liquid. It goes for, you know, all the different other aspects of the, of, of the different stages. Mm. And so I think it's highly likely and highly possible that we've only identified four stages of water. Mm. I think there are probably many, many more that we just are not able to discover yet. Mm. We don't have the technology yet. Mm. However, I think that spirit or our essence, our soul, if you will, this electrical charge that we have is kind of like the silver thread. And it can go for far, 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 far further than we can even imagine, especially if we're very, very um, kind of open and loving. Now, I've been very curious, is water conscious or is my consciousness affecting the water? And in the very early stages, I knew less and I would have said the latter. But actually, more and more and more, I'm beginning to see that water has an intelligence that is not only responsive, but intelligent and sovereign. So I thought, well, how can I somehow see if water is actually conscious or not, or if it's I'm affecting it? When am I not conscious? Mm. So I was like, well, when I'm asleep, I'm, I'm not consciously impacting water. And so I would leave, I did a study for a few months where I would leave a petri dish of water by my bed. And with the intention that maybe I pick up some part of my dream and mm. I sleep in the dark, complete darkness. So this was happening in the dark. Mm. And so what happened was that I would have a dream and I often dream, but I often forget what I dream too. Mm. So I use the ones that I forgot. So in the morning I would wake up. I know I knew I dreamt something, but I couldn't remember what it was. I would freeze it. And the image in the ice was so clear that it would literally jog my memory of the entire dream. And I'm like, okay, well, how can water possibly be accompanying me in my dream time? Where is it? Like, how is this possible? And so I saw that so much that it was like undeniable that, that there was information going on here. That I, it was somehow viewing this. So in the same way that people can remote, like do kind of uh, astral healing. travel and oh, things okay. like that, mm. they have somehow left their body, but they're still with, they can come back to their body. And I think that this electrical charge aspect is one of the ways. So I've interviewed a number of people that have had near-death experiences, and it's, it's wonderful to be able to talk to those people. They, they've been to places that we can't remember or haven't been to. And so all of them, said that they had the sense of rising. And then three of them told me that when they looked down at their body being resuscitated, they had no connection to the physical whatsoever. They said, oh, I hope that person will be okay. They had become the observer, which is so interesting because that, again, is what I actually think the essence of water truly is, is the observer. Now, when it's in a physical body with all of our salts and minerals, mm -hmm. that is where we are become like an active participant and we're able to store memories. We are bodies of memories. Our entire life is a memory. We began this, it's now a memory. When you share this, this is going to be a memory for us. Mm -hmm. And so we look back at our lives and we pick and choose the memories we want to think about and focus on that they're often the clearest that were most impactful to us, good and bad. And so we are making memories all the time. So it's interesting because when you transition out of that and out of the active participant and into the observer, mm. it's a very, very different energy because it doesn't come with any judgment. Mm. Mm. And it's not coming in with any labels. So it is a very interesting and different perspective to look upon. So a lot um, of magic that happens there for sure. Veda, I could chat with you all day long. This is so <laughs> fascinating. And I know our listeners are going to be loving this. I know you've got a book, Secret Intelligence of Water, and people can purchase your online course if they want to. Well, you've got a few courses if they want to learn how to do this for themselves. And I hope they they do because the more we can have this verified and the more, uh, you know, people we can get onto this, the more interesting it's going to become. <laughs> so can you just quickly run us through how people can get hold of you and all the different services that you offer? 
Sure. Well, my book is no longer available, unfortunately. My um, my publisher went bankrupt, so whoever's got copies now have the last few copies. So, I know. Um, <laughs> but uh, everything else I'm doing, I'm going to put the book out myself and, and update it and do another mm. one in a year or so. But I so I do all my um, online courses, and people can just get the PDF of the How to Do It uh-huh. guide if they would prefer to do that. There's a load of podcasts cast on there. I share daily. Yeah, a lot of podcasts that you've been on and you've got a great Facebook group as well yeah and uh quite a growing Instagram group as well I only just started Instagram a year ago so I I don't know why it took me so long to get into it oh it's me too I think it's our generation hey like because I was very resistant to Instagram (laughs) I was like I don't get this thing I just got the hang of Facebook to make me go somewhere else and I am not like you heard it here I'm not going on TikTok I refuse (laughs) or any of the other ones Oh, don't make me. <laughs> I just have to push through my un- uncomfortableness and all yeah. kinds of places in my life and just, yeah. just go for it. But I mean, we always end up working it out in the end. But I post daily on Instagram too. Um, wow. And so um, that handle is Vader Austin underscore water. And, mm-hmm. um, and I'm sure you can share the links. But yes, um, I'll do the show notes. I, I will share one thing. One last little thing that I normally would only share in my advanced workshops, but I think because your focus is on homeopathy, I think this is really, really helpful. And my children taught me this. So when I was doing all this crystallography and I'd get a particularly pretty one, my daughter Shanti, she would come up to me and she'd say, oh, can I have that, mummy? And I'm like, yeah, sure, okay. I'd give her the dish and she would start eating the ice. And I said, oh, what are you doing? And she said, oh, it's good for me, mummy. And I'm like, Oh, okay. And then a few, about a week or so later, my son Rama asked exactly the same thing. And I said, Oh, did you talk to Shanti? And she said, He was like, No. And I'm like, Oh, all right. So they were really attracted to eating the crystallography. And I'm like, Hmm, I wonder what that's about. And so as I started to share this with people that were doing the technique, they said, Oh, you know, my children have been doing that too. Some people in America and around the world. And I'm like, What do these children know that we don't know? So my partner, he did a study on plant medicines using words and my crystallographic technique. So he would write the word ayahuasca, he would write the words and their psychoactive ingredients like DMT and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, long story short, for a week, he was writing the word ayahuasca and then he was doing the crystallography and then he was eating the ice. So again, I've said this before, but water doesn't read words like we do but it reads the energy of words Mm. so what we're actually seeing in the crystallography is the manifestation of the energy or the spirit of a word Mm. it's very powerful and so he started to eat this ayahuasca ice and after a week he said to me you know I think I need to start taking this seriously because he was starting to have some experiences so as I started to slowly share this, I've had a few people, actually it's amazing how many people have insomnia. And um, there was one lady that got back to me. She started using the word rest as her word and then eating the ice afterwards. She did it three times a day and she got back to me around day 10 and said that she'd actually started oh. sleeping. So I don't know, this is like really, really, really early stages and you do need to know how to do my technique, but mm. it's so powerful it's very homeopathic actually the principle and you know what is very funny is literally yesterday in my closed facebook group i did a live because i have been taking the homeopathic remedy made from ayahuasca and i actually just shared about this in my group just yesterday (laughs) well there you go that's very timely there just (laughs) no coinkidings ever hey it's just um this is pretty amazing yeah Oh, Vleda, thank you so much for your time. I am going to have all the links in the show notes and I really encourage people to do your course and check out your Instagram. And, you know, when you have, when you're publishing your new book and, you know, even that happened for a reason, it's going to be really interesting, like a year or so down the track, seeing why this has happened, because I am hundred percent sure this, you know, that publisher going broke had to happen because something amazing is going to come from this. It's going to blow your mind. So yeah. yeah. I never have any worries about mm. things like that. It's just one of those things. I, I mean, books kind of give you a wonderful platform to speak as well. And, yes. and now I feel like, yeah, this, there's always a reason for it. Like you were oh. saying. Yeah. Mm. Well, thank you so much for having me.
It was wonderful to have you on. Thank you so much.